this is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church, and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His Word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Um, I think it's it's really it's really a beautiful thing. It's really a a great privilege to be able to teach through the Sermon on the Mount. Now, depending on like your experience and your background in church or your lack thereof, a lot of our theology and a lot of our teaching we end up explaining through Paul. Like we end up looking to Romans. Like this is how we form our theology. This is what we do. Like we look at Ephesians when we want to feel good. We look at like Galatians and James when we want to feel bad. And like um, we're looking at these, these texts of Paul and we're like, this is, this is how we form our theology and our thoughts about God and what we should do. But the reality is Paul and Peter would have nothing to elaborate on if it weren't for the words of Jesus. And so where it may feel unfortunate that we talk a lot about people talking a lot about Jesus rather than talking about Jesus and what he said, the reality is like this is the core and the root and the substance of everything else that is being elaborated on in the New Testament. And I think once you kind of get that great tapestry of the scripture, even from the Old Testament, everything one, I would say starts to make more sense. I wouldn't argue it makes more sense, but it starts to make more sense as we as we Die, dive into this relationship and this discipleship with Jesus. So I'm thankful to get to talk about the words of Jesus this morning. Because ultimately, this is something that we talk, a lot about, talk about a lot in evangelical churches, is that life in the Lord is not about works. That you can't do the right things and be right with God. You can't do the right things and gain favor with God. But equally as much, and I say this specifically, equally as much, it's not just about belief. That we think like, well, I believe the right things about God, so it doesn't really matter how I live because I'm a spirit and just this like kind of crusty old uh, vessel. But the reality is the scripture is very clear, and the Old Testament harps on this again and again, that it is this marriage where salvation is your induction into the family of God. You're adopted. There's nothing you could do to earn it. It's all by grace through faith. But then the reality is, on that induction into family, you're also sort of brought into the family business, so to speak. That you're invited into, you know about family business, what's up? (laughs) I get a chuckle from Kira. Um, You're invited into a relationship of discipleship. And if you have somebody that works for you, and they're not doing the things you tell them to do, they don't really work for you. (laughs) If they're just like, well, I just wear the t-shirt, and sometimes I show up, but I don't actually know what's going on in, in, in the business. I don't really actually, like you're just a fan at that point. You're not actually a part of this discipleship relationship that the Lord has invited you to. So it's this two-parter. It's faith, it's by faith, but also James had the audacity to say something so cruel as without works, your faith is dead. And so I love that the Sermon on the Mount keys on these things because sometimes you feel like there's things that are so practical and so silly and then you realize this is, the stuff of life. This is really what it takes. This is Monday theology. This isn't just Sunday morning goosebumps. This is Monday in the mud, ready to go. So I'm excited, you guys. I love this. Um, I have a quote from Dr. Craig Keener. It says, what does God save us from? Not just the consequence of sin, but sin itself. 
We can overcome sin, not that we always, oof, typo, sorry guys, not that we always will, but in Jesus, sin no longer has a hold on us. And I love this because this is a great picture of what discipleship looks like, is it's not just like, I believed and now I've got a ticket to heaven and I'm solid. It's like, I believe and now Jesus and I are on this journey together and we are going to do something that he desires because he's a good father, he's a good master, and we're going to do this. And I think that's a good transition into our text today. So if you have your Bible open, it'll be on the screen too, but... Um, we're starting in verse one from chapter seven. It only took like four or five years and we made it through chapter six. Um, I'm just kidding. It didn't take that long. Um, if you, if you were in my youth group a few years ago, that's the way the Bible went, but, um, not anymore. We're, we're doing better these days. Verse, uh, chapter seven, verse one, do not judge so that we, you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? Verse 5, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs. And do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So I have a little heading slide, because the next thing we're going to do is we're going to define the word judge. I don't have a stat on this. I don't know if anybody takes polls like this. But I, I think from my personal experience, very limited personal experience, I think this is probably one of the most frequently quoted Bible verses by people who don't believe in Jesus. And usually it's in the KJV. Have you ever heard that? Judge not, lest ye be judged. Nobody talks like that. I don't even think people talked like that back then. Like, um, but the idea idea is um, that is something that people have, have kind of strangled the church with in our modern day. The idea that like, if you are concerned and if you find yourself upset about another person's sin, then you are outside of the will of God and God hates it. And so people will, like, when we, when we talk about conduct, when we talk about laws and ethics and morality, people are like, ugh, judge not, lest ye be judged. Like, how dare you? But I think the, the problem is that we actually kind of misunderstand the word judge. And so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to share a quick Bible study, Bible study tip with you guys. This is something that I, that I really love. And it's this, this truth, and, and I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to explain it just a little bit, but overall, it's, just, it's a broad concept. Etymology is not secret archaeology to find meaning that Bible translators ignored or missed. So if you've got a Strong's Concordance, I do. It's really fancy. Shelby bought it for me when we were dating, and it's beautiful, and it's expensive. And you can look at a word in the original language, and they will list tons of definitions. This is not a choose your own story. Have you ever, did you read those in like grade school where you're like, oh, if you want uh, a happy ending, go to page 24B. You know, it's like, it's not like that. It's like, what do I want this Bible verse to say today? But you have to understand the way the Lord speaks, the way speaking happens is you mean something when you say it. 
And it's affected by who you're saying it to. It's affected by the situation that you're saying it around. And so it's not just a, a pick your own meaning sort of thing. And this is approached often in the scriptures that people are like, well, what this means to me is this. And people will use etymology or like, what, like the breakdown of a word to back themselves up. The famous example is people do this all the time. If years down the road, the U.S. ceases to exist and nobody speaks English anymore, and we find these like sacred relics of text about the English language, and we're like, ooh, English, nobody speaks English anymore. Let's see what, what's going on. They're talking about the springtime, talking about flowers blooming, and there's this, there's this animal, or, or maybe it's like an insect, but we'll just run the, the etymology on a butterfly. And so what I'm seeing is the root word, butter. And so this insect is apparently made of like processed culture dairy product and it can fly. Oh my gosh, how sacred and beautiful. Like too bad the world has changed so much that we don't have these flying hunks of butter anymore. And it's like the etymology does not tell you what a butterfly is or what it looks like. Does that make sense? <laughs> so anyone with a concordance, anybody with a lexicon can list tons of definitions for tons of words and make up their own Bible story. And there's even Bible translators that have done this. So watch yourself, man. Like sometimes it's just stinking wild. And so to bring this home, like I don't want to just talk about this. Um, let's talk about a Greek word. Everybody loves having a Greek word in a sermon. Like it feels like, oh, I learned something today, a Greek word. Um, the Greek word that we see in verse 1 and verse 2 that is judge, the infinitive to judge, is the Greek word krino, K-R-I-N-O, if you're interested. Um, <laughs> and so pull it up in the concordance, and we'll see the range of definitions. And so we get the definitions will range from analyze and evaluate to condemn and avenge. So let's look at a mistranslation of verse 1. Do not avenge so that you will not be avenged against. For by the way you avenge, you will be avenged against. I'm here to tell you, I honestly don't think that's what this verse is saying. I don't think it has anything to do with vengeance, honestly. But even if we take the quote-unquote softer definition of analyze or evaluate, let's look at that. Do not analyze or evaluate someone so that you will not be analyzed and evaluated. So that almost is more severe than avenging. It's like, I can't even think about someone or else I'm out of the will of God. It's like, I was thinking about how much I like Mackenzie. I was like, oh no, I did it wrong. That's Matthew 7, 1. I shouldn't be analyzing. I shouldn't be like, there, like for me, if this was the, what the word of God was actually saying, I would have such a hard time because I overthink almost everything. And it's like, uh, we can't just pick what we mean. So we have to look at something that is a little bit more resilient, a little bit more strong than just the etymology of a word, and that is your context. That is your literary and your historical context. And sometimes when you use the word literary, it's like, we're back in school. But the reality is, the historical context, what is actually happening as we're watching this teaching, can be pretty clear even if you just read English. And I think that's a beautiful thing. I feel like that was one of the most relieving things in like the last several years of working in churches is realizing like, you know, those guys and girls who translated the Bible for us, they're really smart. And they worked really hard for our English translations to actually mean what they were trying to say originally. And I was like, 
thanks guys. Like there's like national appreciate your Bible translator day. And it's like, we should, we should be thankful that we don't have to be Hebrew and Greek scholars and read the Septuagint in its original context. Like we can actually read English and see like, wait, what is Jesus actually talking about? What is, what else was he talking about besides this verse that I just cherry picked out? And I think that's a beautiful thing. So let's look at the word judge in two verses that are not um, in Matthew 7, and let's see uh, the range of what we can get. So 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. Let's see if you can spot the word judge. I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan. Do you remember this verse when you guys were doing deeper projects? <laughs> For the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Talk about a verse out of context. If you don't read the rest of the book, you're like, what? <laughs> what is Paul talking about? But you see the word decided, that Paul has crinoed to deliver a literal person over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Let's look at 1 John 4. Same word, different context. Beloved, do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone into the world. Do you have a guess what the word crino is in this verse? Test. So if Jesus here is saying, do not crino lest you be crinoed, that is like directly contradicting Paul who said, I have crinoed <laughs> that this guy is going to be delivered over. So hopefully he gets saved. And then uh, John, who's later on saying, but you need to judge every spirit. You need to test these things. And so drawing from the context of what Paul is talking about, and I think we actually have a lot of tools to do this, I came up with a, a basic definition moving forward. So I have a, a slide for that. So our basic definition for judge moving forward is to criticize and belittle a person based on limited evidence. And if you're thinking like, okay, if you're going to tell me like I'm judging my spouse on limited evidence, I have plenty of evidence. No, it's like all evidence is limited because we are not God. We do not see the inner workings and the enigmatic core nucleus of what a person is. We do not have perfect judgment. And so all evidence is limited evidence. And so to criticize someone and to, uh, in turn, exalt yourself over someone else, this is the kind of content that we're talking about. I think this is fair to say this is what Jesus is talking about. If you disagree, you can talk to me later. Don't interrupt me now because that will really mess up my flow. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, and I think it's fair because we, we talk about judging a lot to be like condemning. And I think that's there because ultimately when we see the end of days, we see the judgment seat of Christ, and we see that people will be called to account for what they did, that the sheep and the goats and these kind of things will happen. But I don't think that this is some sort of like weird rule loophole, like, oh, you didn't read page 234, subsection B, where it said, like, if you judge someone, you have literally condemned them to hell. But the trade-off is then you get condemned to hell. It's like, how scary would that be? What a minefield of faith if that's actually how it worked. This is not actually condemning, but this is a posture and a judgmental attitude within your brain, in your heart, and a lot of times your speech that Jesus is dealing with. So, and I think this really fits our modern uh, situation because sometimes we can read the teachings of Jesus and we're like, how does that actually apply to us? 
because the world back then was just really different. And I don't think this one is, is far off at all. I think something that is, again, in my very limited experience, something that I think is really consistent in our modern context is actually finding comfort in judging and comparing people. That it's easy to look at speck in one eye, log in another eye, and think like, this is extreme examples. That's like me calling someone out and being like, oh, I heard that white lie that you told at the gas station, Darwin, to get out of an awkward conversation. You really need to get right with God. When I'm like having this like huge drug problem and, and like stealing things all the time. Like we like to like really expedite this to extreme examples, but it's like the reality is the Lord has a high standard. The Lord has a specific way. And as Americans, as individuals, we have a hard time dealing with that. That 1 Corinthians 5 talks about we don't live for ourselves. We live for Jesus. We live for the one who died. And that feels like, oh, that's authority. Ugh, gross. But that's the reality of what it means to be bought by the blood. It's like we don't belong to ourselves anymore. We belong to him. He actually saved us from ourselves. And so he has a lot of rights to tell us what to do. Another contextual point that I really want to emphasize here is that I, I actually think it's pretty reasonable to say that this judge not lest you be judged context is actually within the church and within the body of believers. It definitely does affect people outside the church. And that's where we enter into the reputation of much of the church in America, at least, as being judgmental and condemning. But I think the language that is actually being used here is specifically pinpointing relationships within like Christianity within the body of believers. And the reason that I say this, and this is a greater theological implication, we can talk about it later, is the instance of the word brother. That a lot of times, even the way we evangelize to people is be like, you're a child of God. And that's true in the fact that we can all trace our origins back to the Lord because he created all of us. But John 1 actually says, to those who receive Jesus, they are given the right to be called child of God, children of God. And I think that's, that's hard because that sounds scary. Like, oh, people who don't believe aren't God's children. It's like, it's an adoption process. Romans 8 talks about like, you were somewhere else and then you were brought into God's family. And so it's like, that should bring us more urgency to share the gospel with people because it's like, man, the people who are far from God are far from God. And they can be close to him at the speed of faith. You know, it's like, that's, that's an amazing thing. But the reality is this context, we're going to talk a little bit about like outside of, of, of the church, but realistically what Jesus is dealing with is relationships within the, the faith of orthodoxy. Does that make sense? Okay. So there's a goal here. I'm a big goal guy. I'm a big like takeaway guy. Like what, what is it actually saying? Because I know that I sometimes just pander and say random things to like process my thoughts, but Jesus isn't like me. Jesus is saying something. So I believe the goal of this passage is actually to reinforce loving one another. It's to reinforce love for God, and it's to reinforce love for each other. And I think that's beautiful. Later on in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, um, I think we'll get to this next week or later, it says this, in everything, therefore... I always look for a therefore, because that's like everything I've said so far, I'm going to summarize it. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. And I love Jesus elaborates this a little bit more in Matthew 22. <clears throat> uh, so this is like a lawyer, right? And he's trying to trip up Jesus, or he's just asking an honest question. I don't know. Teacher. <laughs> 
which is the great commandment. I love it. It's not even the greatest, the great commandment in the law. Verse 37. And he said, he being Jesus, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. And I love this because Jesus takes the entire library of scripture and summarizes it into a bedrock of specific demand. And he's saying like, if you are following any law, if you are following any prophetic word, it has, it has to be rooted in love for God, exclusive, complete love for God, and a very, very similar principle that is love for other people. And that is the heart of what Jesus is trying to get after in this beginning. And that's the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. That's the heart of Galatians. That's the heart of the book of Revelation. That's the heart of these really difficult passages we're trying to read together in Isaiah. That is the heart of it all, is that you would produce love for God and love for other people. And so my next like kind of point slide is, um, so what is Jesus actually telling us to do or not to do? I think it's helpful to keep this commission to fulfill the law and to fulfill the law through loving and, and uh, loving God and loving others. It's, it's important to keep that in the front of your mind as you read this. So I think this, this passage actually does a really practical job in defining this. So how do we love God? In John 14, 15, it says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is obviously in context of a lot of other things that Jesus is talking about, but this is pretty universally true. Like, if you love God, you do what he says. And I think that sounds scary. Uh, it sounds like behavior modification. It's like, oh, you're just trying to imitate holiness. You're not actually developed. No, the reality is, like, if uh, my, my example is really crude and silly. But um, when, when Shelby and I started dating, I was driving a moped. And I thought it was the sickest thing in the world, and I loved it so much. And I was like, the next step is a motorcycle, and I will save so much money on gas, and I won't have a car payment. I can just pay it off. It's going to be awesome. And Shelby's like, no, I don't want you to do that. And I was like, well, let's, let's keep talking. And, uh, and I was like, but I saw a motorcycle for sale, and it's not very expensive, and it doesn't really run, but I think it'll be awesome. I think it'll be super sweet, and I'll save so much money. And she's like, my paternal grandfather died on a motorcycle. So full stop, don't do it. And I was like, okay. So it wasn't a matter of like, oh, Adam, you sacrificed your masculinity. You should like, you should like enforce your will over your wife. It's like, no, it was like, I love her. And she gave me a simple direction because of something she felt strongly about. And I was like, I have changed my mind. <laughs> and like, um, the reality, the reality of, of following Jesus and keeping the commandment of the Lord is not behavior modification. It's not inappropriate authority. It is the only wise God, our father, telling us what is right and what is best for us. If you've ever had children and had to explain to them, no means no, take no for an answer, it's hard. Because the reality is, for most people, your parents are just trying to do what they think is best. But the, the difference is, the Lord actually knows what is best. And so for him to tell us what to do, it's like, well... 
but did you consider this? Did you consider that I really, really want it? Like, <laughs> it's like, because that's the way my kids feel. Like my arrow used to say like, but I don't have no for an answer. And then one day he's like, bzz, bzz, bzz. I just printed no for an answer. And I was like, what are you talking about? Arrow's a goof. And the beautiful thing about this, not to put the cart before the horse, but if we actually subject ourselves to God and keep his commandment, this actually kind of log proofs our eyes because this puts hypocrisy in check when we realize like, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing awesome. And then you realize like, oh man, now I'm prideful. Shoot. Then you have to start back from the beginning and you're continuing this process of Lord, I just want to please you. I just want to love you. I want to follow you. And you're continuing that process. And that is actually a great and undefeatable enemy of hypocrisy is when you're just trying to be humble and pure before the Lord. And I think this actually positions us in a place where God can use us to give mercy to other people. And I think that's really at the, the heart of this passage is not just like not judging and belittling each other. It's actually helping each other. So let's look at verse 5 in Matthew 7. Jesus uses this really affectionate greeting he uses all the time. You hypocrite. <laughs> and look at the sequence here. First, take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It's almost as if your own sin, your own disobedience to God actually will cloud your vision from helping other people. And implicit in this, in this passage is the idea that you're going to help other people. You're going to see inconsistencies in people's lives and be able to help them. Be able to speak the truth in love and help people get through difficult seasons of confusion or legitimate disobedience. And you're like, I didn't go to church to deal with other people. <laughs> That's the unfortunate thing about family. Is that family, you all get the call when your crazy brother is doing something dumb. That's the, that's the result of family. If you don't get the call, you're not really a part of the family. And I think that's hard. But this is what it means. This is, we're never meant to be like rogue satellites doing this in our own strength. We're meant to do this in the family of faith. And I think that's one of the most difficult definitions. That's one of the hardest graces to maintain is that we're actually in this together. Because Jesus is sufficient for salvation. But even God in the beginning looked at Adam and said, like, man, this is really good. But it's not good for man to be alone. And had to create other people. That was his design. That was his plan. So we usually get stuck at do not judge and we ignore the rest because that's a difficult place. And a lot of people are hypocrites. That's just the way it works. <laughs> you know, um, I was telling some youth group students uh, one time uh, there was like brought up the assertion where it's like, I can't really preach the gospel because their biggest polemic to Christian faith. The kid didn't say this to me. but Their biggest polemic to Christian faith is Christians are hypocrites. And then your apologetic for that situation is, well, Christians aren't Jesus. Let's move on. Like, Jesus is not a hypocrite. Jesus is not a liar. Jesus is not abusive. And so I'm sorry that myself and other people have hurt you, but let's move forward looking at Jesus because he's the one that's going to save you, and we're all going to screw this up together. I promise you there are people in this small room that I have hurt. There's probably people that I've hurt this weekend. You know, like... And I'm so sorry. And I really don't want to be that one. I really don't want to have the, a bad attitude. I really don't want to be that kind of person. But it's going to happen. And you're going to hurt me. As much as I like to be resilient, I get hurt sometimes. You know? And we have to move on together 
um, being able to speak the truth to one another. So if we follow the sort of process of verse 5, it says, first, take the log out of your eye. So I think probably my most practical tip, as this covers a broad scope, it's not just like, um, well, I'm not addicted to drugs. I'm not in like, like, uh, like romantic adultery or something like that. I'm not really doing any of those, those big ones. But it's to evaluate your life to Jesus. It's like, Jesus, how can I love you more? What is keeping me from loving you the way you deserve? If I'm using these hyperbolic terms like all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, how can I say that and not be a liar? Like, Lord, help me to, to have a, a more gracious attitude towards people I don't like. Help me to like people that I don't like. Help me to, to be a friend to marginalized and difficult people. Help me to be obedient to what you're calling me to do, even though it's really hard and kind of gross. Help me to, to find you. And I think the beautiful thing is that this isn't something that we just kind of insulate ourselves, and then when we emerge from the, the chrysalis of our discipleship, then all of a sudden we're actually believers and we can do the things that God wants us to do. This is something that we're working out together. And that's why things like accountability, that's why things like actually asking for prayer and healing and deliverance is so powerful. Beyond the, the power of God to accomplish those things is actually the vulnerability to bear the load together. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And sometimes you can actually find a plankless person and just be like, man... I'm just stuck. I just feel like I, I know what I'm supposed to do and I'm just not doing it. Or I just straight up don't know what I'm supposed to do and I just feel like I'm not giving God what he's worth. And you can link arms with that person. And some of you are like, yeah, people need to be more available. We all do. I do. And I think we all need to, to be able to subject ourselves to either end, whether it's asking for help or being available for someone else to help. And don't kind of try and pull this nonsense where it's like, well, I've got my own plank to deal with, so I can't help you. It's like, well, deal with your plank, man. Like, come on. Like, it's like, um, I remember asking people that were, were leading with us in youth group. It's like, would, would you, would you, uh, I didn't say would you. I said, like, do it. Um, disciple another person. Take, a, like, a, a younger person. Like, I believe that you're following Jesus. I believe that you're, you're doing the thing. So I want you to take a younger person and start going through a book of the Bible or, or a book or whatever. And I had a couple people be like, yeah, let's do it. And then I had a couple people like, I just feel like I'm not really ready. I feel like I'm not really, I, I just don't feel like I'm, I'm doing it yet. It's like, well, then that should be kind of your objective number one, is getting to a point where you can be used by God. You know, be, get to a point, like, I'm not saying, like, you've got to uh, graduate past this level or something like that. But it's like, if there's something in your life that you feel like is keeping you from doing the Lord's will, even the most essential thing, like make disciples of all people, then let's work on that. Let's talk about it. Like, that's probably one of the most painful things to go through this process is like, let's just talk about it. Let me bring it up the next time I see you and don't lie to me about it. You know, like, let's work on this together so that we can actually um, look at Matthew chapter 7 and not be like, I don't know what that means. Let's move, leave it alone. <laughs> you know, like, let's actually move forward in not judging, but helping. Does that make sense? And I, and I think it's, it's a bummer, and I can speak this specifically dealing with Pagosa, um, because it, it may seem like I just moved here, but I actually lived here for some time, moved away and came back. But uh, a lot of times what I've seen in Pagosa 
is that people will struggle with something, or even like a, a, we would call a struggle, it's like they're just confused. Something happened, or they just felt like they lo- lost that like fire that they had, and they're just like confused. And so the natural progression is like, well, I'm going to go and, and work on myself, and then hopefully someday I can be received back into the family of God, and, and you guys can accept me back. And, and I can't speak for every church, and I can't speak for churches all over the place, but I can't speak for here. That's not the goal. The goal is not like you show up ready to rock. It's like whatever stage you're in, if you're even kind of interested in Jesus, he started something in you. You don't come to Jesus on your own. He's actually prompting you to come. And so if you have some stuff to work out, don't try to do it as a rogue satellite on your own. Do it together. And I promise that people will get frustrated with each other. I promise it'll be hard but it'll be so worth it when we actually mature in Christ together as a family. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, visit us online at www.opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon.